All right, well, good morning again, church, as we uh, get ready to jump into the next part of our series today. Right before we do this, I want to point your attention to a couple of really quick announcements. I'm going to grab your bulletin um, so you can take notes on there as well. But also, I want to just remind you that uh, we have a team that just left to go to Puerto Rico. So this week, as you're thinking about it, um, just pray for them. Uh, we had five people from our church head down with others from our campuses all around. Um, so make sure you take some time and just pray for them as they're down there, helping to build some homes, but also helping to share the gospel as well. And then we have We Are Coastal today after church. It's going to be right through those doors, straight to the left. And if, even if you didn't sign up, but you're ready to take a step and just maybe getting to know us more as a church, um, and even just how you can really get involved here as a church, that's going to be right after service today, so don't miss it. We did order a couple extra meals as well, and we will be done by 2 p.m., I promise. It is a Pastor Andrew guarantee that will be done at 2 p.m. as well, okay? And then Wave Camp is coming up as well, man. If you have young kids, elementary age kids, this is such a great opportunity for them to have a safe, gospel-centered place to come to this summer. So this, well, not this week, July 18th coming up. Make sure you sign your kids up for Wave Camp, man. We would love to have them come and connect and grow this summer. Hey, before we get into the message, I just wanted to give this one more announcement as well to share with you. As we've been going through this series, I wanted to share with you some of the books that I've been reading that hopefully will be a help for you as well. Um, so if you can snap a picture of these on the screen or write them down. But there's three books I've been kind of going through um, as we've been going through this series. Just again, help our minds be in the right mindset for this. One is this book called Live No Lies by this guy named John Mark Comer. Man, he does such a good job in helping, helping the reader see the cultural lies that we're believing right now. And again, as we've been going through this series, we've been reminded that Man, there's so many lies that we can believe in this season, but man, God, God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to help us to see what the truth is. So it's such a good book. And there's another book called Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen. Um, she is a Christian counselor. And again, that's where those three questions kind of came out of. Okay, what's the truth or what's the lie, what's the truth, and what's the choice? Um, great book as well, to, again, to help us be in the right mindset during the season, again, all based on Scripture and God's Word. And then there's a life application Bible commentary on the book of James. If you're not in a book right now, during the summer, church, I want to challenge you just to devotionally read James. Hey, just read a chapter every day over and over until we get through the series. So it's, it's five chapters. Once you finish those five, start again and just keep reading through this book. It is so powerful for truth and practical living in the age and, and day that we are in. So I just want to give those resources to you as well, especially if you need, if you're an audiobook reader or a physical book reader or a digital book reader, grab one of those. And again, let's let God continue to renew your mind this summer as well. We live in a world of disinformation. Doesn't it seem like, like my mom used to say, my mom used to say that sometimes people just talk out of both sides of their mouth. So it doesn't seem like sometimes people will say one thing, but then it seems like everything in their life seems to communicate something different. Like they may say one thing, but then looking at their lives and how they're living, it's the complete opposite of what they've said or even what they've told you. In this world of disinformation, we see that even in the news, they oftentimes will spew out information that's skewed to one side just based on maybe one opinion. 
or they're so quick now to report the news that it has to be urgent and they have to be first, that they haven't done all of their research. So they put out information first without all the research. So what they end up doing is actually propagating a lie. In fact, Russian democracy advocate Gary Kasparov, who now lives in exile, he said this. He said the point of modern propaganda isn't only to misinform or push an agenda, it's to exhaust your critical thinking, to annihilate truth. See, we as followers of Jesus, though, we know it's more than just people pushing propaganda. It's more than just people trying to disinform you. There's a real enemy out there, and the number one way that he tries to hurt the church and the believer is through lies. As followers of Jesus, we know that right now there are lies that the enemy pushes that are in opposition to what God wants and what it is he's called us to do in opposition to his truth. That's why we also keep going back to this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where the apostle Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions against the truth. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions that are opposite of what God has said. We take those lies that culture tries to push in on us or that we even believe ourselves and we submit it to obey Christ. That's why James several times all throughout his letter that he's writing to this church, he says to them, look, do not be deceived and do not deceive yourselves. And that's why as we keep going through this series, we're going to keep asking the Holy Spirit to help us with these three questions. We want to ask ourselves, okay, what is the lie? What's the lie that we're believing right now? Again, whether it has come from the outside or whether it's even come from within. Even if we spent our whole lives believing or living this lie, we want the Holy Spirit to do a deep dive in us so that we aren't living that lie anymore. So that we aren't being deceived, or even deceiving ourselves. And the second question we ask, if we're trying to take every thought captive and submitting it to Christ, we also ask the question, what is the truth? Because Jesus would even say to the Pharisees, look, you've been following your father, the devil, he would say, and his natural language is lies. But he said to those Pharisees, he said, look, it is the truth that will set you free. That 1980s philosopher, G.I. Joe, once said, he once said that, you know what, like it's, it's, it's knowing, right? And knowing is half the battle. Church, it's so much more than that. Because knowing the truth is what produces freedom. Knowing God's truth, his word, his will, his ways, that is what produces freedom. Man, James wants us to know as we continue through this series that we cannot be deceived. We cannot believe the lie anymore again, whether it's from within or without. We need to know what the truth is because we also need to ask ourselves a question. Let the Holy Spirit show us what is the choice. Because once we know that, even if we believe the lie for our entire lives, once we know the truth, that produces freedom in us. And I want you to know that you always have a choice. 
No matter who you are, no matter what age and stage you're in, you always have a choice. And again, what we're going to be reading today as we're in part five of this series, it was written to believers. And James, as he's writing, you know, he, he wants the person to know who is a believer that he himself, at one point, you know, he did not believe in Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus was more than just some other person. In fact, as we're going through this today, I just want to remind you of a couple quick things about James. Because James, he was a real person. I want to remind you that this isn't just some, 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 some social media person that isn't even real out there behind some screen. Uh, this wasn't just some figurative character uh, that the Bible has in here. This was a real person who really did live in the first century. James really did live there. In fact, many people actually even believe about James that he, um, that his mother Mary, that he was a, uh, excuse me one second, so let me, let me start over again. You ever had one of those moments where, you know, you're trying to do a thought, but then like you are getting older? I mean, you're 42 years old right now, and you just completely lose your train of thought. You ever had that happen to you before? No? Some people are shaking your head no. Some people who are older than me are shaking their head no. <laughs> But I know it's true. I know it has happened to you before. What I'm trying to say, James was a real person. He really did live in the first century. James really was the half-brother of Jesus. It has even been taught that Jesus' mom, Mary, that she was a perpetual virgin and that she didn't have any other children. But we know from God's word that that's not true. In fact, Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 through 56, it says, uh, there's some people who are questioning Jesus. And they say, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And here it is. Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Mary was the mother of Jesus, but also the mother of James. And Joseph was Jesus' earthly adoptive dad, but he was also the father of James. So even just from this, we know that Mary wasn't some perpetual virgin. In fact, more than likely, Mary loved doing the things that married people love to do. And apparently, Jesus had several brothers and sisters. But see, James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah at first. Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says, when his family heard of it, when, when they heard of some of these miracles that Jesus was doing, the things that he was saying, when his family heard of it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, look, Jesus is out of his mind. And in John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, not even his brothers, including James, believed in him. James believed the same lie at some point that Jesus was just another person. But after the resurrection, everything changed. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that Jesus showed himself to over 500 witnesses, including James. And today you're going to see that even though James may not have believed Christ at first, he was listening to his brother. The words of Christ and the will of Christ are so evident in the teaching that we're going to read today. And again, what we're reading today, it was written to believers. But I know some of you right now who are sitting in this room, maybe even watching in line, online, like you haven't yet trusted Christ, but you have been listening. 
And I hope that today you'll see that Jesus wasn't just someone else, but he is God. He loves you. He's a plan for your life. He died for you. But he rose again so that you could find freedom. And when you surrender your life to this Jesus, you get to experience real freedom, real living, authentic living. Don't believe the lie that you can't find freedom because it is available in Christ. Go to turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2. And today again, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna read today in this passage. It is so clear. It is so clear in this portion of James. But what we're going to look at is real practical living. So today I'm going to read the entire passage. Then I want to highlight just two priorities that James calls the church to take notice of and actually live out. But see, church, getting these two priorities out of order can be disastrous for the church and for the believer. James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you go stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of, it, of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray together. Father, you are constant. God, you are constantly good, constantly loving. Lord, I love how your word says that there is no variation in you. There is no shifting of shadows in you. No matter which direction we look at you from, you are good. Lord, your word is God-breathed. And I pray, God, today that you will keep doing this deep dive in our hearts. Lord, show us any way that is opposite of you. God, we want to have your word by your Holy Spirit tear those things down. God, we want to submit those thoughts to Christ and make them obedient to Christ. God, we want to be authentic followers of you. God, help us today to see if we're living or believing a lie. Lord, help us to see the truth. 
And Lord, would you help us to make the choice to see that it is your truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing, the first priority that James calls us to take notice in is that we are to worship one. We are to worship one. Listen to what James says here again in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Right before James steps into this very important teaching on partiality, he takes a moment to remind the brothers. And again, remember when he says that he's talking about the church, so men and women, everyone who's trusted Christ, who's in the church. He takes a moment to remind them of the main reason why we shouldn't, shouldn't show partiality is because there's only one person that we are to show favoritism toward, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he adds even more weight on that and says that this is the Lord of glory. You know, the word glory in the original language is the word doxa, and it simply means glory or splendor. It's this idea that we give glory and splendor to the person that we worship. And James is letting this church know, look, everyone, all of us, we have been designed to worship something. We give our attention and affection towards something or even someone. But see, the problem is we often give it to others. In fact, even in the church, we can believe the lie that a person who is on the platform or has published the most books is worthy of our attention and our affection. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't give honor to those in ministry in a way that Scripture has described and even challenged us to. I'm just trying to say that there is no man, there is no woman that gets the glory or is to be worshipped and sh no one should take the place of God. A couple of thoughts on why we worship one. The first one is that no one is greater than Christ. No one is greater than Christ. No other person or system or job or possession or relationship, come on, not even football, not your favorite football team, not your favorite basketball team, and if you're even into it, not even your favorite hockey team is to take the place of Christ. No one is greater than Christ. It's the same thing that the prophet Isaiah records when the Lord says, look, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? He says, my glory, I will not give to another. If God doesn't want to give his glory to anyone or anything else, why should we as his followers? It's the same thing the writer of Psalms would say in Psalm chapter 96, where he says, for great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised, he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering, come into his courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Author and theologian Wayne Grunham, he says it this way, he says, look, God is jealous for his honor and he rightly seeks his own honor. When we reflect on the purpose of worship, it also reminds us that God is worthy of worship and we are not. 
I would add to it, not only are we not worthy of the worship, but no one else is. No one is greater than Christ. No one is worthy of worship like he is. But we also worship one because our relationship with Christ, it is personal. Our relationship with Christ is personal. Look, James says, look, he is our Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a reminder that this is a personal relationship. James is even including himself in on this. He has this personal relationship with Jesus. And the brothers, the church, it includes him, but it's also a reminder, look, Christ isn't just some object that other people worship. He is this personal God that wants to be close. In fact, later on in James chapter 4, verse 8, he would say, look, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. Have you ever thought about that the God of the universe, the one who created everything, the one who literally hung the stars in the sky, the one who set the sun and the earth just far enough apart from each other at just the right angle that life can thrive here on earth, the one who made every single cell in your body, the one who knew every single detail about how your life would be lived wants to draw close to you and have a relationship with you. And when James says this is the Lord of glory, it's a reminder that this incredible God that created everything wants to be close to you. He wants to have this personal relationship with you. But see, we also worship one because our position in regard to Christ, it needs to be one that is submissive. It needs to be one where we look at who Jesus is and we submit our lives to him. Church, I don't know if you know this, but this has been an ongoing theme almost all throughout this year here in this church. I don't know if you know this, but it seems like very often we talk about what it means to submit our lives to Christ. And you, you may think maybe I've been saying that every single week, but the truth is, yes, I have. Because the truth of the matter is we need to submit every single area of our lives to Christ. In fact, when, when James reminds us look, that he is the Lord Jesus Christ, but also the Lord of glory, that title, Lord, it, it means that he is our master. It means that he is our master and we are his servants. Now, I know sometimes like when we hear that word now in current culture, like, hey, I don't have a master. No one's my master. I have freedom. I live in America, like no one controls me, I control myself. And that's true, you do live in America, right? In case you didn't know, you live in America right here. That is true. But life is best lived when you submit your life to the right person or right thing. Every one of us is going to follow somebody. Every one of us is going to submit our lives to someone or something. So why wouldn't you do that to the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ? His commands are not burdensome, but it is his truth that sets us free. So why would you submit your life to the one that is worthy of submitting to? Man, Jesus is worthy of worship. He's worthy of followership. He's worthy of trust even through trials and temptations, even through the pain in life. He is worthy to follow and submit to even when we don't understand. Even when we don't understand, we submit our wills and our lives to his ways. But see, we also worship one because this Christ that we believe in, 
he is glorious. Jesus is glorious. In case you haven't heard it yet, Jesus is God. You know, James, James who wrote this, he's writing to a predominantly Jewish church. In fact, his church was in Jerusalem. So most of the people who had trusted Christ, they had, they had at one point probably been pretty staunch followers of the Jewish faith. So most of the people were, had a very, very strong background. So when he talks about this is the Lord of glory, it would point back to those moments where these Jewish followers who now trusted Christ would know about the glory of God. The same glory that God would show off when he rescued his people from Egypt. The same glory cloud that would go before them in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that would guide them. The same type of glory that Moses would witness where he would have these encounters with God. And because of the glory of God, Moses' face would shine. It's the same glory that John would write about that we read about a few weeks ago in Revelation chapter 1 where Jesus is in heaven and there's angels around him. It's the same glory that the prophet Isaiah would write about where it says that these angels are literally around the throne bowing before him saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. It is that same glory that James is referring to. See, Jesus is personal, but he is God. He is glorious. Now, now church, don't miss this, okay? Because our position towards Christ should be one that is submissive. He is a glory one, glorious one. There's no one in the world that should take a greater priority than Christ. Man, husbands and wives, I'm talking about you even regards to your spouse. Your husband or wife does not take a greater priority in your life than Jesus does. Moms and dads in the room, your children do not take a greater priority than Christ does. Man, your career does not take a greater priority than Christ does. Single adults in the room, I'm talking about your heart and your future. It does not take a greater priority than Christ does. Students, I'm talking about even your life. Many of you are about to graduate or go up to the next grade. You may be facing some temptations that you never have faced before. You may start to look at your friends, your future, your life as a greater priority than what God has called you to do. Because the way we worship one is when we submit to him and we view him as glorious, we don't let anything in our lives take the place that only Jesus deserves. Church, we worship one. It is to be a priority for us, for those who have trusted Christ. And see, James, look, he tells this church, look, this is a priority. Take notice of this. Don't get it out of order. In fact, we hold fast to this, but not only do we worship one, James wants to let this church know that we welcome anyone. We worship one. No one else gets the position that Jesus does. But we as a church, we welcome anyone. Listen to what he says here again in verse 2. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and then a poor man in shabby clothing also comes... Uh, guys, that, again, that's so clear. You don't even need any interpretation there. He's people saying, look, if someone with status comes in, uh, if someone with power comes in, someone where it's so obvious comes in, he's saying a lot of times, like, we will gravitate toward giving that person preferential treatment. But if someone who's on the opposite side of the financial spectrum comes in, we may either ignore that person or even look down on them. 
He says, look, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you come sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you go stand over there in the corner, okay? Like, you go sit over there. Maybe you can sit at my feet, like sit in a place of submission toward me. He says, have, have not then you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is trying to remind this church, look, don't get this priority out of order. Don't give someone the place that, of honor that only Jesus is supposed to hold. Look, we worship one, but we welcome anyone. So here's a couple of different ways that this applies to the church, okay? Because in the first century, uh, there, there were these Pharisees, and what they would do, they would welcome people into their home, but it was the people who had all the status or who were the smartest that they would give all these places of honor. And there was any poor people around, they would either keep them outside or they would have to literally go sit in the corner. But see, James is trying to remind the church, yes, we welcome anyone and we have chairs for all. We have chairs for all. Anyone coming into the assembly, the followers of Jesus, anyone coming here, there is a chair available for you. Hey, I just want to remind you, and I, I know we can be creatures of habit. I know every single Sunday, you probably sit in the same place every single week if you're a regular attender here at Coastal. But I just want to remind you that these chairs in here, they are for anyone. No one owns a seat in this building. They're for anyone who walks inside this space. No, not even pastor himself has a priority seat. There's no label on here just for the pastor. There's no priority parking for me on Sunday. Now, I get here early, so I get to pick whatever space I want. But there's no labeled spot just for me on Sunday mornings. And I want to challenge you that you would be thinking that same way. That there is no seat in here just for me. In fact, I even want you to think about, you know what, every empty seat in this place is a call for us to invite somebody in. Because there is a chair available for anyone. And see, look, James is trying to say, look, look, we don't show favoritism because really everyone is welcome. Remember, he, he didn't believe in Jesus before the resurrection, but he was listening to Jesus. And I wonder if he was observing his big brother as Jesus would literally have conversation with people who were poor and people who were rich, people who were sick, people who were in great need. He would literally have conversations with people who were of a different ethnic group from him. People who were Samaritans and Romans, people that the Jewish people literally hated, were literally even racist against. His big brother would go after and invite them in to have a relationship with him. And I wonder if James saw that and was reminded, look, we cannot be like the old system was. We can't be like the rest of the world as we need to be like the one that we worship. And everyone is welcome. Church, we have seats for everyone in here, and I want you to know that, man, it has been my prayer that this would be a church that would be multi-generational, that every single age and stage will be welcomed inside of this place, whether you are right out of the womb or whether you're about to step into the tomb, okay? No matter what age and stage you are, you are welcome to come to this place. I want you to know that we are a church that's praying that's going to be multi-ethnic, uh, right now, the Chesapeake, Virginia Beach area is about 56% white. It's about 20% black. It's about 10% Hispanic, about 5% Asian, and a mixture in between. We want to represent our community as we're reaching the community. 
No matter what your ethnic background is, you are welcome inside this place because we worship one, but everyone is welcome. There is a seat for you. If you have special needs, you are welcome inside of this place. What if we were a church? What if we were a church and no matter what the need is, you know that the brothers, the beloved brothers, were going to care for you. And we are praying that we're going to be a church where whether you are poor, you don't know when the next meal is going to come from. You're struggling right now in your finances. Or whether you are so rich right now, you could literally write a check to pay off the rest of the mortgage on this place. You are welcomed in here. And what if we were a church that really did reflect the prayer that Jesus prayed that we would be unified? What if we were a church that were actually a picture of Revelation 7-9, bringing a little bit of heaven right here to earth where John looked down and saw every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every single background worshiping the Lord together? What if that was right here at 1832 Elbow Road? What if we really did believe this, that anyone is welcome? We, show fav- we don't show favoritism to anyone. We welcome everyone. But see, James also says, look, he says, look, now we have chairs for all, okay? Like, we don't give preferential seats. He also says, and I'll give you the next two, that we need to have compassion for all and consistency in all. We need to have compassion for all and consistency in all. Listen to what he says here again in verse 8. He says, look, if, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing a sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, now pause right there for a moment, okay? What James is trying to point out is that there is a danger for the follower of Christ to become hypocritical here. You may say, you know what, I am following what Jesus has said. I, I do try to love with all my heart, soul, and strength, and I am loving my neighbor as myself. But there's a danger in here that we can believe the lie that, yes, we are loving our neighbor as ourselves, but we're not really living that out. One of the ways that you can know is that there is a hesitation. If there's someone in your life that you're, there's a hesitation to maybe share the gospel with, maybe invite them to come to church, and maybe it is for whatever reason. Maybe they are of a different ethnic group than you, a different race than you. Uh, maybe you don't, maybe you think because of their financial status, like, I don't want them to worship with me. And again, you may not be thinking this or saying this out loud, but there's, there's this hesitation in your heart to invite somebody who is different than you to come to worship. Man, I would just challenge you, if you feel that creeping up in you, that to remember that is not from the Lord. Confess that to him. Repent of that. And Jesus, would, they would even ask Jesus, look, okay, when you say love our neighbor, who is our neighbor? And who did Jesus point to? He pointed to the Samaritans, the people that were considered to be poor, of a different ethnic group that the Jewish people hated. And he said, look, even the people that are different from you, that maybe you even hate, that is the neighbor that you are to love. So is there someone right now where you feel that hesitation to share the gospel? Because that is the neighbor that he wants you to love. In verse 10, he continues and says, look, for for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor. 
So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. You know, if we really do have a seat for all, we are submitting to Jesus. If we really do care for all, that God would bring across our path, we are really following Christ. We are really consistent in holding the truth when we really do worship the one and we really do love one another, no matter who it is that comes across our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul will remind us of this same thing in Romans chapter 13, verse 9, where he says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word. This one phrase that we need to be consistent in, this one practice that we need to be consistent in and have compassion for everyone, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Church, don't miss, when we really do welcome anyone, we need to be consistent in this. But we also need to have compassion for everyone. And last thing, last, as James talks about these priorities, yes, we worship one. We can't get that out of order. We don't give anyone else this platform to stand on. We only give the glory to God. We worship one. We welcome anyone. He also wants to remind this church that it is Christ that gives freedom to all. It is Christ that gives freedom to all. In verse 12, he says, look, so speak, right, and so act as those who are to be judged under this law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But he says, look, mercy triumphs over judgment. This is a reminder, church, that if we have been shown mercy, we show that same mercy to others. The same freedom that God has shown us, we want to be able to administer, show, help others find that same freedom that we have been given. Because that same mercy, that same freedom is Christ. And it really is available for anyone. Um, I, I, I know I'm almost done, and typically I do this at the beginning, but I want you to look at your neighbor. I want you to look him in the eye, and I want you to tell him the truth, okay? I want you to tell him, look, you are jacked up. <laughs> now turn to your, your other neighbor who's your second choice and say, you know what? I am too. <laughs> look, we are, we are all jacked up. We are all sinners. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us would spend eternity apart from God if it were not for this freedom that Jesus died on the cross for to give us. Every single one of us. And look, James is telling his church, look, you, you worship one, okay? Don't give that to anyone else. You worship one. Only one deserves that highest seat of honor where everything about that person affects every single area of your life. It is the Lord of glory, our master, the one that we serve and we submit to. We only worship one, but we welcome anyone. But do you remember when you were the one? Do you remember when you were the one who was far from God? Do you remember when you were the one that realized that you were so jacked up, you thought there's no way in the world that God could love you? Then you heard about the grace and the mercy that he gives. Do you remember when you were the one that knew that Jesus was after your heart, that he had called you, that it wasn't just everyone else in the world that he had died for, but it was you? Do you remember when you were the one? And James is trying to say, look, that same mercy, okay, 
rather than when someone walks in here and they're different, rather than judging them, show that same mercy to someone else. Church, this is real living. This is authentic living. Hey, as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, as they're making their, their way back up, I just want to ask maybe the person who has been listening for a season, maybe you've been listening for a while, okay, and you, you've been trying to understand who this Jesus is, and maybe today is the day that you want to know that you are the one that he's been after. I want you to know that he's been after your heart. Man, he loves you. He does have a plan for you. And that same mercy that he's shown to so many people sitting in this room is available to you. All you have to do is to take some time today, right now in this moment, and to repent of your sin and to trust him as Lord. In fact, why don't you go to bow your heads and close your eyes? And that's you today. If you're ready to trust Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life right where you are, will you just pray this simple prayer? Would you just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Today, I trust you as Lord, my master. I believe you are God. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. And then for the rest of you who are sitting here today, if, if church, I just, I really want you to join me in prayer in this. Like, I want you to join me in prayer that we would be a church that really does worship the one that we really do welcome anyone. I want you right now where you are just to pray, look, look, God, check my heart on this. Am I really loving my neighbor as myself? God, am I showing partiality to anybody? Whether it's because of their race, uh, their intelligence, uh, their economic status, because of the needs that they have, am I really showing partiality to everyone? And if someone, if some, God's even popping somebody in your mind right now, would you repent of that and say, God, help me to love them as, as you've loved me. Help me to show them the same mercy that you have shown me. Father, you are so good to us, Lord, even when we don't deserve it. God, we, we never deserve it, God. We are so broken, so far apart from you. But to think the one, the Lord of glory, the Christ, who created the universe, knows us by name. And to think you want to draw close to us, God, we are, God, we are so humbled by that. God, to think that you would show us mercy and grace and love and give us forgiveness, God, no matter who we are, no matter how broken we were, no matter how great our sin was, God, we want to worship you. God, I pray that it would be the desire of our heart to worship the one. God, don't let anyone else take that position in our hearts but you. But I pray, God, that we would be a church that truly, truly welcomes anyone. No matter who they are, God, if we look at them, God, if we see them and we first start thinking, oh, man, I don't know if I want this person here, God, would you convict our hearts? Would you change our hearts? God, I pray this church would be filled with people of different races. God, I pray this church will be filled with people of different special needs. God, I pray this church will be filled with people of all sorts of economic backgrounds. God, I pray this church will be one that is a picture of heaven right here on earth. Help us, Lord, to welcome anyone. God, we'll give you all the glory for it because it is your will. And we want to follow it no matter what the rest of the world is doing. Help us, Lord, to make the choice to do that. In Jesus' name. Church, let's stand and sing.